your word through your servant. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we thank you that you have adequately taken care of us. You have preserved us. You have kept us by your power so that today we wait in your presence expecting the windows of heaven to be opened upon us and all the blessings to fall on us. Meet the need in the life of all your children. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Last week's lesson provoked some questions which we must clarify as we go into our lesson. You see, the body of Christ, the Christian church, comprises believers who have pledged their allegiance to Christ as their only Savior. We are his disciples. We are his followers, students who someday will become teachers. Jesus made it clear that the mark of the true Christian, uh, of the true disciple, is this. L-O-V-E, John 13 and 35. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. He said, a new commandment I give unto you. And what is that new commandment? That you love one another. Love for one another is the factor that keeps this prayer circle so closely knit together. Love is the reason why you have been unafraid to open your heart to each other on this line and to allow God's compassion to flow out of you with a caring concern for each other. And God has been answering prayer on this line and meeting needs and blessing people. And I'm sure those of you who open your heart to the Holy Spirit, he blesses you with abundant blessings and you sense the divine presence of the Spirit of God. In the body of Christ, there are individuals and groups with varying persuasions, but they all have one thing in common. And what is that? They deeply and strongly and unreservedly love the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. They deeply and strongly and unreservedly love the Lord Jesus Christ. And he loves his church. And his church loves him. In spite of differences among those believers. Differences in doctrine. Differences in practice and differences in procedures or administration. And to answer one of the uh, questions from last week, I would like to mention this, that in the body of Christ, 
there are Trinitarians and there are Unitarians. These two group groups form a major segment of the body of Christ today. Each of the two perceiving the perceiving the um, component the component of the Godhead differently. And it appears he doesn't mind how they look at him because he's blessing them both abundantly left, right, and center. And uh, the thing is, they are enjoying his presence in a very, very special way. Let me tell you two little stories, or two, let me give you two little examples, and I'm going to be brief. Four friends were walking through a meadow in the early hours of the morning at sunrise. One of the four stopped, stooped down, and was gazing intently on something on the ground. He was deeply moved with what he was seeing. It, uh, and it, what, what was it he was seeing? He was seeing a dewdrop, a large dewdrop, resting on a blade of grass. It was so colorful. He urged the others to look at it. At first, they couldn't see the need for such, uh, you know, excitement. But he insisted and he did his best to point out the silvery blue color of that dewdrop. He said, can't you see this? It's a lovely dewdrop. Look at the beautiful silver color. One said, I don't see a, a silver color. All I see is a beautiful emerald green. The other said, I don't see green or silver. I see a rich purple. And the fourth said, I see something that is red and beautiful. They were all gazing at the same dewdrop, but they were looking at it from different angles. And from those angles, the light cast into it or through it different colors. They saw blue, green, purple, and red, the angle where they were looking at it. And I tell you this, every segment of the Christian community, I mean the real Christian community, may look at the scriptures from different angles as the light of God's revelation flows through them and to the scriptures and they come to their conclusion based on their conviction. One final illustration. Someone has said that in a forest of trees we are told 
there are hundreds or perhaps thousands of shades of green. Yet all we see is just a forest of green woods, leaves, and trees. The kingdom is like the forest. One great family of Jesus lovers and who are wrapped up, tied up, and tangled up in love for one another and one big happy family looking to the blessed loving Savior who gave himself for us and who has invited us to a great big supper, a feast of love. He loves us and we love him. There is not a better bone anywhere else than this bone of Jesus Christ, our loving Lord. We can all sup with him and he with us. We can all fellowship with one another and fellowship with him. For behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Let us get past any and every difficulty and let us get busy loving on the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, our friend, our Redeemer. Hallelujah. He loves us and he wants to give us the best. So much of that. Here ended our first lesson for today. Last week, we pointed out that one of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit as noted in John 16 and 14, where Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said, he, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he shall not speak of himself, but he shall glorify me. And the me there is referring to Christ. He shall glorify Christ. Yes, this is one of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit. He brings glory to Christ. Inasmuch as he will use us to accomplish great things, miracles, signs, and wonders, even the raising of the dead, he will not take glory for himself, but he will desire that the glory should be given where it rightfully belongs. That is to Jesus. That glory is sacred. That glory is the property of God himself. That glory belongs not to man, but to God. And as we mentioned the last time, if God, no, rather, God would not have anyone share in his glory. All glory belongs, all the glory belongs to the Lord. He will not share it with any man. And now, for 
sake of time, we must go into our final lesson on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Remember, these four lessons were not a course on the Holy Spirit that in itself is, a, is going to take a long time. And more than that, um, it, it, it will require a lot of effort on your part and mine. But anyhow, we have just been talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit because several people are interested in receiving this experience for the glory and the praise of God. So tonight, today rather, we want to talk about what is the evidence of the experience of the baptism in the Holy Spirit? How does one know that he or she has received the baptism in the Holy Spirit? We will look at this as carefully as we could and leave some thoughts with you that would help you to understand. The law of first reference applies as in the natural to the spiritual. Wherever something is mentioned for the first time in scripture, we need to look at it carefully and see what were the conditions, what are the factors relating to that thing and how it came about. We need to study it as carefully as we could. We will not be able to get every single thing on it, but at least we should look at it and see what we could learn from the law of first reference. The first recorded incident contained in this, uh, uh, contain, uh, contain as certain signs or elements that, uh, let me see that again. The, the first recorded incident contained in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two, contained an element that keep that kept recurring in every instant where the spirit was outpoured again let me let, let me say that straight before you miss it there was a certain element that kept recurring in every incident where the spirit was outpoured for the first time on people. In the 28th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, let me see if I'm saying that right. Oh, yes. In the 28th chapters, the Acts of the Apostles has 28 chapters. In the 28th chapters, there are five specific incidents of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on believers. And uh, you need to take a note of this. It's there. You don't even have to take a note of it. It's, it's there. Chapter 2. Chapter 8. Chapter 9. Chapter 10. And chapter 19. 2, 8, 9, 10, and 19. In chapters 2, 
10 and 19, it is expressly stated that the recipients spoke with other tongues. That is in three of the five cases, 60% of the time when the Spirit was outpoured, the people spoke with other tongues. That's more than half. In chapter 9, no mention is made of speaking in other tongues, but we are sure beyond any doubt that this recipient spoke in tongues on subsequent occasions after Ananias laid his hands on him to receive his sight and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 18 to support this idea. I may come back to it, but keep that in mind. 1 Corinthians 14 and 18. Paul the Apostle is the one who experienced the baptism in Acts chapter 9. And he said to the Corinthians, he said, I thank my God. I speak in tongues more than ye all and it is interesting, the Amplified Version says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than all of you put together. So Paul was in the habit of utilizing this experience of speaking in tongues in his private devotions and in his walk with God. We may come back to that at some time. In chapter 8 at Samaria, something happened to everyone who received the Holy Spirit baptism when the apostle uh, uh, laid his hands on, on those Samaritan believers. Something significant happened. And it had to be something unusual. And it's so unusual that it prompted Simon the sorcerer to wish to part with his precious cash in order that he might obtain that kind of power. What could he have been witnessing on each one of these occasions where people were experiencing the Pentecostal experience? And it was presided over by a man who first shared that experience at Pentecost, Peter. Did Simon see what Peter at first saw in Acts chapter 2? The inference is very strong. Simon the sorcerer must have seen and heard something so convincing. He must have seen such convincing evidence of the coming of the Spirit that he was willing, as I said before, to part with his hard-earned cash to obtain that kind of power. So, based on these five incidents in Acts 2, Acts 8, at Samaria, 
Acts 9 with Saul of Tarsus, and then Acts chapter 10 at the house of Cornelius, and Acts chapter 19, where Paul asked those disciples, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said, unto what then were you baptized? They said, unto John's baptism of repentance. And he told them that John's message had become uh, not old, but the time for John's message had passed and the kingdom of God had moved into a higher level or sphere and Jesus had already come. So he had come and he had sent back the Holy Spirit. And if you believe on Jesus, about whom John preached, you too may receive the Holy Spirit and be filled with the Holy, receive the Holy Spirit. You too may be saved and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So they repented, they were baptized, believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hands were laid on them and they received the Holy Ghost. You could check that out in Acts, the 19th chapter. And when they received, they were speaking with other tongues as initial physical evidence of the incoming of the Holy Spirit. And beside these scriptures we've given you a moment ago, Acts 2, Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, and Acts 19, we have the words of Jesus in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, and verse number 17. Jesus intimated, he said, These signs shall follow them that believe. Among other things, in my name, they shall speak with new tongues. Jesus intimated that. He made it clear to them that those who believe, he didn't say when or how or by what means. He said it will happen that those who believe as a result of your preaching, they will be speaking in other tongues. He didn't give the details. But we know what those details are, looking at Acts chapter 2. But back in the Old Testament, in Isaiah chapter 28 and verse number 11, the Lord said to Israel, his people, these words, with stammering lips and another tongue will I speak to this people. And it continues, this is the rest, and this is the refreshing. It is not without significance that Peter later said in the book of Acts, chapter 2, somewhere there, I didn't make a note of this address, but I know it's in, in his speech on the day of Pentecost. He said, this is the refreshing that comes from the presence of the Lord. In Isaiah 28 and 11, 700 
and 50 years before Christ, Isaiah said with stammering lips and another tongue. Yes, some people will be quick to say that these stammering lips and other tongues refer to the Babylonians that would be coming to take control of the people of God. But always remember that prophecy has in it a present element that speaks to a, a direct situation that may be existing at the time, and it also has a future significance or future um, implication. It was not only for that time, but it was also for this time. And Isaiah said, God said, that with stammering lips and another tongue, I will speak to these people. And this is the rest. This is the refreshing. What happened on the day of Pentecost? They were all diffused throughout their souls with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak in different and in another tongue as the Spirit gave them loud and clear expression, amplified version. It was a time of refreshing. The disciples, the 120, were not oppressed or depressed or sad at this experience. There was joy and jubilation and gladness filled their heart. They were blessed. Peter stepped forward after that all had been filled and saturated. He stepped forward and the 11 or 10, the, well, he stood up with the 11 and he said, brethren, these men are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it is but nine o'clock in the morning, the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, who said in the last days, God will pour out of his spirit upon all flesh. And Peter went on to explain what the Pentecostal experience was about. And notice that he did refer to the speaking in other tongues and what was really happening. People, as they spoke in tongues, spoke in languages at the time, but some people in the crowd, in the public gathering, they understood the meaning of what was being said. And it is interesting to note that what they understood and what they heard was not a sermon. It was not uh, uh, an, an exhortation. They heard them speak in other tongues the wonderful works of God. So what was being said in the tongues 
in the language of the spirit was a description of the wonderful works of God. And this is interesting, this is exciting, because, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead here, because Paul was heard to say in the book of 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, he said, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. So this language that God gives you when you experience the fullness of the Spirit is a language that enables you to commune with God in words, in a language that He understands, that He knows, that He appreciates. Paul said, when you speak in an unknown tongue, you are not speaking to men, but you are speaking to God. So there in Isaiah 28, 11, the Lord said to Israel that with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. And this is the rest. This is the refreshing whereby he causes the weary to rest. The Holy Spirit baptism will produce in you a life of intimacy with God, a life of prayer, a life of love for the Word of God, a life of love for witnessing to Christ and for Christ, a love for holiness, a love for service and usefulness to the kingdom of God, a desire to maintain balance or temperance and avoid extremism, a love that causes us to grow in favor with God and with man. We could go on, the list could be longer. But the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just for you to be able to speak in another tongue, but it does transform your entire physical and spiritual life and being, making you to be more and more like Jesus. There used to be a little chorus that um, we learned in one of our country churches. It said, I want to be more, I'm not singing it, I'll just give you the words. I want to be more and more like Jesus. I want to be more and more like him. I want to be more and more and more and more, more and more and more and more, more and more and more like him. And that's what the Holy Ghost helps you to become more like Jesus. He gives you such an understanding which if you listen to him and follow him, you will not go wrong. Yes, when you receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it brings you into favor with God and man, and it also puts you in line whereby the gifts of the Spirit will become available 
to you, you are in line to be used of God in the gifts of the Spirit. And those gifts are in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. You could check them out in your own time. But the baptism puts you in line, makes you available to be used profusely in the gifts of the Spirit. And then what the, 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 the baptism in the Spirit helps you, I was going to say changes your personality, but it doesn't particularly do that. What it does, it makes you hungry, more hungry rather, for the teachings of God's Word, and it makes you to be teachable. That's what I was coming to. The baptism in the Holy Spirit gives you a teachable spirit. You're not stuck up. You're not uh, like a, a sticking out there like a, a sore thumb, but you are flexible and you become teachable. In passing, we must note 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 2. Where Paul says, he who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. He speaks not unto men, but unto God. And notice it is an unknown tongue. And I've heard people who would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I've heard them say, well, why do I want to speak in a tongue that I don't understand and nobody understands? Listen, you are special in the sight of God. And when two people are special, they have certain codes that they use between themselves that is not, on, that is not uh, recognizable or understandable to others. But between the two of them, they have a certain look, they have a certain smile, they have a certain uh, code that they exchange between themselves. And everybody say, what is that? It's not for you to know. That is something known only between the two of you. Uh, for that, I would say not. Um, Paul says, you speak in an unknown tongue. You're not speaking to man. You say, but what sense could that make? I tell you this. God is a fantastic God. He could make something that sounds like nonsense or foolishness to other people. And he could make that to be good, good sense. So... If God prescribes the unknown tongue as the initial physical evidence for the infilling of the Spirit, don't, don't question God's operation. Father knows best. God knows what is right. He that speaking in, speaketh in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. The unknown language is a means of direct communication with God. 
I've heard some people say, and I, I can't preach this with authority. They say the devil doesn't understand when we communicate with God in other tongues. It confuses him. But with God, God knows. God understands. And I tell you, in some of the deepest, darkest moments of my life, I have spoken in the language that the Spirit gives. And I have seen light break through, light come through. Yes. Ikarabasunda, rababa shulala kita rambaras ile kantala nisha kutere karabarial nalalia koloko. Light breaks through when you speak that language of the Holy Spirit. God has made that provision. Therefore, it is not time for us to question God's operation or God's system or God's uh, arrangement. It is time for us to do what God says and to believe his word and to trust him. He did it for the 120. He did it for the people at Samaria. He did it for the people uh, in the house of Cornelius. He did it for the Apostle Paul. He did it for the 12 in the 19th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. He did it for them. And he wants to do it for all. In the last days, he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall speak in new tongues. So 1 Corinthians 14 and 2, Paul testifies that when you speak in an unknown tongue, you are speaking to God. And I want you to note, I'm, I'm going to wrap up in a minute. Words are primary means of man's communication with God. Words are primary means of man's communication with God. You know, I was amazed, and I hadn't noticed this before, in the second chapter of the book of Genesis, when God was working the work of creation, at least 10 times the Bible records these three words, and God said. 10 times in Genesis, uh, the second chapter, I believe it is. Yes. 10 times, and God said. And every time God said something, something happened. Change took place. Creation came into being, into reality. This is the reason why we see this. Let me look over with, to see where that scripture, that um, passage is. I'm turning in my Bible, and I do have it on the line in red, so I will pick it up 
at the drop of a hat. Some of you don't believe in Mark in the Bible, but I must be the biggest sinner in that respect. Yes, sorry, I said Genesis 2, but it's Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, verse 3, and God said, verse 6, and God said, verse 9, and God said, 11, and God said, 14, and God said, 20, and God said, 24, and God said, 26, and God said, that's the eighth reference to what God said, 28, and God said, and then 29, the 10th reference in one single chapter, and God said, God uses words to get his work accomplished. What do we do a lot? We, as preachers, we preach. And preaching involves words. Preaching is the presentation of divine truth. Of course, by means of words, in order to persuade men to follow the true and the living God. Preaching persuades men to follow the living God, and it is by the use of words. Ten times in Genesis chapter 1, the record says, and God said, but when the first reference is made, you have to recall that the world was without form and void, and darkness moved upon the face of the deep. Before, God's, before God uttered these words, and God said, there was chaos round about, and your words and my words could make a difference. Your anointed words and my anointed words will make a difference. That is why you and I are being changed constantly as we expose ourselves to the hearing and the teaching of God's word. We cannot be the same. Chains must fall off. Shackles must be broken. Bondage must cease. Prison doors must be open because the word of God is quick and powerful. The anointed word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God pierces, it divides, it cuts asunder, it penetrates. The word of God is a dynamic instrument that brings about supernatural changes. So I've said all of that to say this. Words are powerful. And when they're anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit, they move mountains. They heal. They deliver. They create. That is why when the Spirit comes in, the Spirit speaks and he speaks in the language of heaven so that the commands are given 
in heavenly language with heavenly authority when man speaks under the anointing of the holy spirit it is as if the voice of the lord god is thundering through the eons of time and eternity yes anointed words go a long long way and that's why you hear some people preach and you are amazed at what effect simple preaching does have on you the anointing makes the difference the anointing breaks the yoke when you're filled with the holy spirit you speak in tongues and i tell you it is a wonderful exercise i'm closing in a minute when you are filled you will speak in other tongues we give you that scripture in mark 16 and verse number 17 and you say oh but it doesn't say that you have to be filled with the spirit to speak in other tongues L- listen jesus did not give all the revelation at one time or at this same time he just mentioned those who believe shall speak with new tongues he didn't tell them that yeah guys you got to wait until the day of pentecost listen guys you have to wait until you get in that upper room he told them and they knew that somewhere along the line someday pretty soon it was going to happen and it did happen sometimes we are too anxious we want all the answers at one time one moment the same day instantly microwave style but no we sometimes have to wait tongues come with the gift of the holy ghost in your spirit and look up hebrews 2 and 4 tongues come with the gift of the holy ghost tongues will not pass away until that which is perfect is come there are some people that try to deceive you and say oh you don't have to speak in tongues today because tongues will pass away yeah it will pass away but not now in the fullness of time and the fullness of time hasn't come as yet and uh, it is only when that which is perfect is come that tongues will not be needed tongues is a blessing for you receive the baptism and your blessing is there some people say you know pastor i wouldn't be baptized but i don't want it with tongues but you can't have one without the other the baptism the, the speaking in tongues is when the fullness of the spirit reaches to use a natural term reaches boiling point some of you are old enough to remember well young enough to remember the time when as a kid your mom may tell you to stand here and watch to see 
when that water boils. And when it boils, give me a call. And you stand there and that water wouldn't boil because you want to go and play. And you stand and you look and you eat and then you hear like the pot, excuse the expression, the pot begins to sing. And you say, oh, that must be it. And you go and tell your mother, oh, it's ready, it's singing. She comes and she looks, she says, that water is not boiling yet. You stand here and don't go anywhere till it boils. And it sings a little louder and you think that's it. But she says that's not it. To make a long story short, it is boiling. When the steam attempts to push off the cover and the steam forces its way through the lid, and so on. I know that you have with saying kettle. The water isn't boiling until the kettle whistles. And when that whistling takes place, you know it is ready. Water does not boil until it is 212 degrees above sea level. Then it's boiling point. And I say to you, you may have some wonderful anointings. You may have some wonderful experiences. You may have some glorious feelings. But that isn't it until the kettle whistles, until the steam tries to push off the cover, and until you begin to utter rabababa, shukaraba, tigelele, sinde, marababa, sundorokara, pakariata, until you begin to utter that language, the language of him, the language that God understands, the language that touches God quicker than any other language. To hear me today, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for these days, and it is for everybody who believes. Believe and you will receive the Holy Ghost. Let us pray for a moment. And while we are praying even now, it has been my experience in preaching and teaching that even while I speak, the Holy Ghost will fall on people who are hungry. Hallelujah. God is touching some of you now. The Spirit is coming upon you. Just open your heart to the Lord and believe him and yield yourself to him. Don't question him, but just say, Lord, I receive. And in no time you will find your uh, language shifting from English to the language of the Spirit. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit suggests the language to you. And when he suggests the language to you, you speak following his prompting he prompts you and you say what he says for you to say father i thank you for the power of the holy spirit that manifest in these lives manifest at this altar manifest in this prayer circle i ask you lord to touch lives and to fill them with good things in jesus mighty name fill them with the holy ghost and power in jesus name and everybody said, Amen and Amen.